Well, let's close worship out in prayer. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you so much for this day. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you are a good God and that you see us and that you care for us. Uh, Lord, and that you know us intimately as a loving Father. And Lord, uh, I guess as I come to you right now, Lord God, I have to confess that my mind is, is somewhat racing from the events of this past week. Uh, Lord, if I'm being honest, there's a lot of different emotions that are kind of feel like a whirlwind within inside of me. Uh, there's anger and there's hurt and there's heartbreak and Lord, some confusion and just not understanding. And, and Lord, I pray that as, as we come before you today, Lord God, as I've thought about it, the only thing that I really know how to pray is that you would hear our prayers and Father, that you would heal our land. Lord, so we humbly ask that you would just do that in the midst of everything that's going on in Minneapolis, Lord God, in the midst of the, the, the riots and the uprisings and, and Lord God, the, the, the demonstrations that are going on across this country. Lord, I just ask that you would just heal our broken land or that you would heal this racial divide, this tension that we, we live in, that so many people find themselves in, whether they want to or not, Lord, that they find themselves in. Lord, I pray that you would be with the families that have lost loved ones. Lord, just in all of this and hearing even the different death tolls in different areas and things that are happening, just the violence and crime and some accidents, Lord God, even, I just pray that you would move. Lord, I thank you that you were a big God. And in these moments when I feel powerless, Lord God, I have to remind myself that you are never powerless and that you can do all things. So Father, I pray that you would just move and that you would intervene. Lord, that you would ultimately heal our land because that is what we need. We need your intervention. We need you to move and to work. Lord, and we will be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor that is due your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, again, thank you so much for those of you that are joining us online. Know that there's a ton of different options. There's so many different things that you could be doing, but we are really thankful and glad that you are joining us. Uh, again, whether that's watching live on a Saturday or a Sunday or you're watching this on demand, um, really truly praying that God moves and intervenes and works within your life in an, in an amazing way. Um, and I do, before we kind of move on to, we want to get to the message. I'm pretty excited to be able to share with you um, a, a message that I'm titling Facing Your Giants, um, talking from 1 Samuel chapter 17. But before we get to that, just in light of everything that's kind of happening within our country, um, within our, our state in regards to COVID-19, um, there's been a lot of developments within the last couple of weeks. There's a lot of developments that'll be happening this week with the stay home order, presumably ending on I think it was July, uh, June 5th. Um, we just felt it was necessary to kind of take a few moments to address some of the plans that we have here at the Christian Life Center. And so it's hard to believe that this is the 11th week, if I've counted correctly, this is the 11th week that we have not had in-person services. And if you were like me, I am dying to get back to, to being able to meet for church. I'm dying to get back to meet with my small group. Shout out to my small group. Love you guys. Um, and just really want to get back to some semblance of, of normality. Really, I think that's where I'm at. And I think most of us are. And so we do want to kind of give you uh, a, a update as far as what we can and what we're thinking and kind of point you in the direction of where we're hoping to go. Um, because like I said, I think many of us are, many of you just like me are eager to assemble as a body of believers once again. 
um, and I'm excited to share with you that. I also want to kind of set up the Kid Zone video, so we've got a few things to do. So please bear with me. We are going to get to First uh, Samuel chapter 17, but just bear with me for a few moments. I've got a lot of different notes on things that we want to just bring to your attention, and then we want to point your attention to Wednesday night as well. That will be a critical piece here in just a few moments. But um, one of the things that I do want to say is before we kind of lay out what we think is our plan, um, really what we feel like is that this is a brand new frontier, right? The landscape of the United States, let alone not even just the United States, just the world has changed due to COVID. And so this is a brand new frontier for us. Many of us have never seen anything like this, a pandemic like this, and many of us have never tried to lead through this. So I would ask that you guys would be patient with us. If you guys have ideas and thoughts, please, you can contact us. Um, but what right now we are trying to discern what the best steps are and what we think we've believed is, is kind of what we're laying out here this morning and what we'll continue to lay out this, this coming week. And we'll let you know what that is. I do want to say that because everything is, uh, you know, a new landscape, everything looks different. I do want to encourage you that if you have any questions um, or if you have concerns or if you, you just want to be in contact with us or you want to know how to get the most recent update, I would encourage you in three different ways. Number one, I would encourage you to go to our website, clcfamily.church, and there we will be doing our very best to give you the most up-to-date information that we can. As well as our website, I would encourage you to kind of check out our social media, which is facebook.com slash clcfamily.church. We're going to be updating that. Sometimes that actually moves pretty uh, quicker than it does actually through some of the online stuff, but I think you'll find our website and Facebook is pretty evenly matched. Also, I would remind you that if you don't currently have our app, that is another way that you can get push notifications directly sent to your phone. And the way that you get that app is if you text the words CLC family, that's one word, CLC family, still one word, and then the second word is app, A-P-P. And if you text that, those two words to 77977, you'll be able to download our app. It's completely free. It's a great way for you to get connected. And then the other thing that I would just say is that if you need to reach out to us, info at clcfamily.church, or if it's just easier, just simply call the office at 610-869-2140. Everything feels like it's changing, kind of at the beginning of COVID where it felt like every day, maybe not even every day, it felt like it was more every hour, things kind of changed. It almost seems like as we're, we're kind of coming out of this, this red state, it seems like that's where we're at as well. So I want to encourage you to do that. So without kind of teasing it anymore, here's where we as a church believe that we should be leading in the next few weeks um, in, in our uh, phase uh, or three, three phase plan kind of. So let me just lay out what we have. What we are hoping to do is similar to what the governor is doing, kind of a, a red light, yellow light, green light. These are the three phases that we are trying to figure out. Right now, what we want to do is establish kind of in phase one, what we're hoping to do is to set up a social distancing outdoor option that will start on Sunday, June 7th. So for most of you that are watching this over a weekend, if you're watching this on Saturday, that means a week tomorrow, we will be starting an outdoor socially distanced drive-through service that we are going to be doing every single week, rain or shine, at 10.30 in the morning, okay? So we want to let you know that we're going to be doing that. If you're watching this on Sunday, then it's literally one week on June 7th at 10.30 in the morning, we are going to be un- 
unveiling, unrolling, whatever you want to call it, um, we will be doing an outdoor service that will have a combination of areas that you can sit in to where we're encouraging you to go ahead and bring some lawn chairs. Again, we want to ask you to be mindful of social distancing practices. So you need to stay, you know, at least six feet away from people if you're getting outside of your car. Or if you're staying in your car, you can just kind of come to a parking space. You'll be able to tune your radio to the, uh, the FM transmitter that we have that you'll be able to hear it directly from your car and that you can engage in an actual church service but also still practice social distancing. So that is something that we're working on. What we want to do is that we understand that there's a hundred different thoughts and questions and comments on that due to time today because we do want to get to the message I can't explain all of that in great detail so what we want to do is that this coming Wednesday night at our normal cow devotional time which we've been doing uh, we're calling it cow still it's it's connect online on Wednesday at 6:30. we are going to be going live again but we will be strictly talking about the details of what needs to happen for us to be able to pull off this June 7th launch date for a outdoor socially distanced service. So um, again, we're shifting. This is probably not going to be like the greatest show that you've ever seen the very first week. I think that this is going to take some growing into. We're going to be learning as we go. How do we better manage? How do we better, you know, help you as our congregation? figure out where those, you know, lines are, where do we, you know, do we put giant circles on the ground and say, okay, here's the area for this. So we're working through all of those details. I don't want to try and explain it now because we're working through that. Please, 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 if you are interested in that, please tune in on Wednesday at 6.30. You can go to the church website and click the Watch Live tab, or that'll probably be on Facebook and YouTube as well. You can watch on any of those mediums, and we will be able to talk to you what the plan is, and then we'll be able to give you some more instructions. We'll be able to point you in the direction of documents, things that you can read, what you need to know. So we're really putting kind of our eggs in that basket of going Wednesday. We want to have this all ironed out because we're still working through some of those details. So that is kind of phase one, is that we want to do something as soon as possible. This Potentially this Friday, the governor is lifting the stay-home order, and so we want to be able to get this into practice as soon as we can. So June 7th, starting at 10.30, I should say that this will be a little bit more catered towards our children. So what we're trying to do is plan for an hour-long service that keeps in mind that we have young children in a car. Uh, I'll say that our target audience is maybe like a first grader because we understand that it's not necessarily easy to keep a first grader in the car just kind of sitting there and be happy while adults talk. That wouldn't be really possible. So what we're trying to do is cater this to families. So we're trying to make it about just an hour long and then we'll try and do our very best to communicate in a way that helps both 40-year-olds and six-year-olds. So we're trying to do our best to communicate well. Again, a lot of adapting and uh, pivoting we're doing as an organization, trying to figure that out as a church. Our message doesn't change, but the way that we deliver that obviously is changing through COVID-19. It is important to note that we will not be changing our online services. So as of right now, we have an offering online that goes live on Saturday nights at five o'clock. It goes live on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock and also at 10.45. The only slight change that we will do is that possibly that 10.45 service, and we're still working out the details, possibly that 10.45 service may not be an online offering, but because that has been recorded on Facebook, that's been recorded on YouTube, 
because you can watch that at 9 o'clock and it will be on our website. You can watch those pretty much on demand through Facebook, through YouTube, pretty much instantly after they're uploaded. I think it takes a few moments for it to like load or kind of figure out what it needs to do and you can watch it pretty much live from there. And what we usually try and do is by Sunday or by Sunday afternoon, I think it's actually by Monday morning, we try and have that weekend's messages available for uh, on demand whenever you are available and you want to watch it. We try and have that on demand on our website, clcfamily.church slash media. And you can watch it. You can listen to it. There's a lot of different things that are going on there. Um, yeah, let me just, I'm trying to look through my notes so I don't forget anything. Um, family friendly, online options are catering uh, a little bit more towards adults. So we want to focus a little bit more towards families at this service. I will say that, so this is kind of phase one that we have is that we're unveiling on June 7th. Phase two and three, which we haven't put a ton of work into, but the idea is that in phase two, what we want to do is start to open up this building. We want to start to open up this facility both on the weekends and during the weekdays and figure out what that looks like. On this 1030 service that's going to be happening starting on June 7th, we will have the bathrooms open in here for the building, but that is the only thing that we will have open. If you are coming in to use the restrooms, you will be required to wear a mask and all of the social distancing practices that we've been putting into, into place for the last three months or so, need to be continued to be adhered. So phase one is just kind of getting some type of an offering as soon as we can. Phase two is going, okay, beyond just use of the bathroom, how can we begin to use this facility during the week and during the weekend? So beginning to look at online services, yes, continue to do that, continue to do outdoor services, but then also what does it look like to start to meet again inside the sanctuary? And then the third phase is just simply put, like when we get a green light that we can kind of do everything, then what does it look like to do business as normal? Because I'm not sure if we really can go back to normal after COVID-19. Like it's changed so many different things. I'm not sure what normal looks like. So those are kind of our three three phase plans that we're working at right now. I know that this is kind of a lot of information. For some of you, this is really engaging and you're hanging on every word. Some of you are very concerned and going, uh, you might feel like this is, this is too early to do that. And what I want you to understand is that it's okay no matter what side of the fence that you're on. If you feel like you are concerned, hey, that's why we want to have these online options so that if you don't feel comfortable leaving your house, that you can still be a part of what God is doing here, that you can still be a part of a church, that you can call this church your home, and you can get connected through, you know, calling on the phone, through email, through contacting the office, any way that you can do that. But also, if you're eager to get out and to start doing things, then we want to be able to have this, but again, being aware and socially, you know, uh, mindful of social distancing practices and mindful that the fact that while we may not be at risk, we have loved ones that are at risk and we know people that are high risk. So we want to be very careful and cautious. We want to exercise wisdom and prudence in that. So um, kind of bear with us. So again, want to point you to Wednesday night. That is this coming, uh, what is that, June 2nd or 3rd? I should have probably looked that up and put that in my notes. June 2nd or 3rd, I think it's this Wednesday, 6.30. We'll get you more information about our June 7th, 10.30 social distancing outside parking service. Wow, that's a mouthful to say right there. Um, uh, yeah, that's kind of, I think, all of the details.
that we wanted to share. I'm trying to look through these notes and make sure that I don't miss anything. Uh, I just did reiterate, again, this is a very fluid situation. So please be patient with us as things change. It seems like information is coming every hour. And so it seems like our plans need to adjust on some level every hour. Sometimes we are a little bit more cautious and sometimes we feel like we're going, okay, let's just get this done and figure that out. So just kind of bear with us in this unprecedented time as we try and honor God, we honor our, uh, you know, the government that God has established above us, and we try to exercise prudence and wisdom. So just bear with us. We're excited and really, I would say, anxious to kind of meet again. And so we want to work towards that. We know that many of you have been asking us either through text messaging, either through any of the staff members or email or Facebook. You're very curious, hey, are we starting something, especially with what President Trump had said the other day about churches being essential? Hey, that does that mean we can meet this week? So we are trying to get to that point. We're trying to figure that out. So just kind of bear with us for that. Again, if you have any questions, please contact us. Um, I, I can't promise that if you have a suggestion and you want to do that, that we can jump in and do that. What we're trying to do is really be thoughtful and mindful in this and figure out every angle that we can. So if you have questions, if you have concerns, you can reach out and share with us. Um, we want to be open to that. This format is a little bit challenging because you hear me speak, but you don't actually get to speak to us. So I would just encourage you, if you have questions, if you have thoughts, please reach out to the office. But we also recognize that with you know, a, a church this size, there's about 500 different opinions on the way that we should do it. So we're trying to navigate all of these uncharted waters. You guys have been so fantastic in these last three months, kind of going with the flow of things. We ask that you would just continue to do that, and we, we thank you for that. So I think that is all the details that we have for COVID-19 updates. Um, I do want to kind of change gears just a little bit and talk about offerings for our kids. As we are kind of gearing up in that, we do want to say that, hey, what we recognize is that this time really kind of stinks for kids, right? Like kids are stuck at home. They don't have a lot of the things that they can do. Maybe they've got some friends that they can play with. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're just kind of really isolated. And, and so we're mindful of that. Our kids Zone, I feel like, has done a stellar job of trying to engage your children on a weekly basis. Every Friday, they're putting out content of like a weekend preview of what the message will be about. So tune into that. I think that it's, that's at one o'clock. They're using object lessons and science experiments to do that, as well as on Fridays. I think it's about at three on their Facebook, uh, 3 p.m. They are putting out like, hey, here's resources. Here's a coloring page. Here's activities that you can do. Here's some small group questions for the weekend. So I would encourage you to lean into what KidZone is doing. Um, they are trying to make it easy for your children to have something to do there during this season. We know it's crazy. We know it kind of stinks for them, but they're doing very, very best. They are at kind of the forefront of some of our thoughts of how we can reopen and how we can engage and how we can get children kind of connected back in to families and friends and, and this church community. So we're working through all of that. I do want to say that we do want, want to play a KidZone video. They have been doing the, uh, the Bible project for the last few years. And so with today's message being about David and Goliath, uh, we do have a video for them. So if you want to, I don't know if you can pause this on whatever you're watching or if you 
you just want to kind of holler up or around or down or to the children, if you want to gather them up, we've got about a four-minute video that we're going to show them that'll give them a brief overview of, of 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17. And 17 is really what we're going to be covering today with uh, the story of David and Goliath. And I think there's a lot of things that we can glean from that. So uh, if you want to call them to be a part of that, that's great. If you don't want to call them to be part of that, I can't tell any difference anyway. So uh, we're going to go ahead and play that now. So check out this video. Saul was the king of Israel, but he disobeyed God. So God was going to give Israel a new king, a better king. God told Samuel to visit a man in Bethlehem named Jesse. God said one of Jesse's sons would be Israel's next king. So Samuel visited Jesse and his eight sons. Jesse's oldest son was tall and handsome. This must be the one God chose to be king, Samuel thought. Samuel, he's not the one, God said. Do not pay attention to what he looks like. You look at what you can see on the outside, but I see the heart. Jesse's sons approached Samuel. But God had not chosen them. Do you have any more sons? Samuel asked. Yes, Jesse said. My youngest son, David, is in the field taking care of the sheep. Jesse sent for David. When David arrived, God told Samuel, he's the one. <gasps> Samuel poured oil on David's head to show God had chosen him to be the king. The spirit of the Lord was with David and Samuel went back home. Now Saul was bothered by an evil spirit. Saul's servants thought Saul might feel better if he listened to beautiful music. One of Saul's officials knew that Jesse's son, David, could play the harp. David came to Saul, and whenever Saul felt troubled, David played his harp, and Saul felt better. At this time, the Philistines, enemies of Israel, got ready for war. King Saul got his army ready to fight. The Philistines had a great warrior named Goliath. Goliath shouted at the Israelites, send me your best man and we'll fight one-on-one. -on -one. But none of the Israelites wanted to fight Goliath. They were afraid of him. David's brothers were in Israel's army and David brought them food. David saw Goliath and watched the Israelites run away in fear. So David volunteered to fight. He don't stand a chance against Goliath, Saul argued. I have killed wild animals, David explained. God will keep me safe. Saul offered his armor to David, but it was too heavy. David took off the armor 
and chose five smooth stones from a nearby stream. David was armed with only the stones and a slingshot. Goliath made fun of David because he was just a boy. You come to fight with a spear and sword, David replied, but I come to fight in the name of God. You have insulted him and God always wins his battles. David ran toward Goliath. He slung a rock and hit Goliath in the forehead. Goliath fell face down and David killed him. David was not a big or strong warrior, but he trusted God. God gave David power. When God sent his son to earth, Jesus did not look like a strong warrior either. But by dying on the cross and coming back to life, Jesus showed his power to save sinners. So after that video, I am pretty excited to, to tell you that today I, uh, I got to kind of choose what message I wanted to, to speak on today. And um, I have to admit that the story of David and Goliath is probably my all-time favorite Bible story. And if I could meet anybody outside of Jesus, obviously, because that's always the right answer. As a Christian, if like you were asked, who would you meet anyone in, in history? I think you have to answer Jesus. But outside of Jesus, I'm really curious to see what David looked like, because David was a man after God's own heart. Yet, when we look at his example, there was times that, man, he really messed up. Like, he really messed up, but yet he was still considered a man after God's own heart. And so I'm pretty excited to share with you what many might kind of consider a simple, um, maybe Sunday school story, but I, I, this is what I love to do. I, I, as a youth pastor, I felt like I did this all the time. I love to look at kind of those simple maybe children's stories or the way that people view them as children's stories because there's this cute little lesson and then you move on. But really, I love to look at them because I think there's so much more than just some little children's lesson, some little story for us to hear. But I think there's actual truth about who God is and how he operates within this world. And so I'm pretty excited to be able to share with you. We've got a good amount of verses to cover today. It's about 55 verses that we're going to walk through. I'm going to try and go quick. I know that we've already spent a good amount of time talking about the updates of things that are happening, plus watching the video. So I understand that time is kind of of the essence. So I'm going to try and work through this pretty quickly. But I'm excited to share what I think that God has challenged me with. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons why I love the story of David and Goliath, because this story really challenges me in how I view the giants that are in my life, how I view the things that I'm wrestling with or dealing with, and how I actually bring them to God, or if I'm trying to, to fight these battles on my own. And so uh, I want to talk to you about that. And I, I think the, the reality is today is that I don't want to spend much time talking about the giants that we face in our life. Because I think the reality is, is that all of us know what it's like to have a giant or a problem or a situation or something kind of in our lives. Or maybe it's not just one giant. Maybe it's like three giants or six giants. We all can kind of fill in the gaps of what it is when we think of giants or the things that we go through, the, 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 the thing that is taunting us or thing that just seems like we can't defeat within our lives. I think we all have an idea of what it is that we face. And so I really don't want to spend too much time talking about giants in our life, like specific ones. I want to talk about the perspective that we need to have, I believe, as believers when we come across things that we feel like we can never defeat. 
And, and I think that David's perspective in this entire story is really what sets him apart from so many. And, and, and I think that that's what I'm challenged by because many times I don't have the perspective that David did. And so I want to jump into that and talk about that today. Um, and, and I think the truth is this, is that our giants generally don't show up as giants, right? Like, if you think about it, specifically in this case uh, of Goliath, right? For many of us, even if you've never been to church before, you've probably heard the story of David and Goliath. In fact, if you watch sports, kind of this is an analogy that is still used today. It's kind of like the David and Goliath, right? Like this is the one that you expect to win, and here's kind of the underdog and seeing what happens. And, And so even if you've never been to church, you've probably heard this, but the reality is, is that Goliath didn't just show up on this earth as a giant. Maybe he was a big child, but he came to this earth as a child, and he grew into a giant. And I think the reality for us is that many times the same thing happens for us and the giants that we face every day of our lives, or maybe it's not every day. The giants that we face don't start off as giants. Maybe they start off as something small, maybe even something that's kind of cute and cuddly, something that we allow, you know, room because we don't think of it as a danger or something that we should be concerned about. Like, we allow it a place in our hearts, in our minds, and and, and soon what happens is that this thing that once was cute and cuddly, we thought was not so intimidating can grow to become a giant that can be overwhelming for us, that can be in a place where we just don't know how to defeat it because our giant has gotten too big for us, and it is, it is frightening how big our giant has got. And so uh, I think that what is lovable can become lethal, and certain things in life, if you've ever wrestled with or known somebody that's wrestled with an addiction, addiction doesn't start off as usually as terrible as it can get to. It starts off as something small and something that feels like it's manageable and controllable, but then it can grow into something that is out of control and we feel like we we don't have anywhere to turn. And so I think as we talk about that, uh, I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about the giants. I will say that a great resource, maybe if you're looking for a small group, there is a a book and a teaching and a study by Louis Giglio called Goliath Must Fall that I have found uh, incredibly uh, helpful within my own life. Um, some of these notes, honestly, are even directly from that book. So it's a great resource if you're looking to, to get into that. And I think that the truth is, is that when we recognize and understand that we can't defeat the giants that we face in our life by ourselves, uh, really the way that I would say it is that I think that there's an advantage at being disadvantaged. Because when we know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, everything that we're going through, the giant that we're facing, Goliath, or whatever it is, when we know that we can't overcome it, what it does is it forces us to look outside of ourselves to find a solution. It forces us as believers really to make sure that we're not trying to do something in our own effort, in our own ability, but it allows us to then go, okay, God, I need you so much more. In my life, that's what I found is that there is an, there is an advantage to being disadvantaged because when I know that I cannot do it, then I'm forced to rely on God. We learn that we need a solution outside of ourselves, and the truth is that Jesus is the only one that can defeat our giants. 
And so as we jump into this story, uh, I've got a few thoughts that I just wrote down. You'll see them on the screen behind me, or we'll pop them up as you're watching this. And and I think that as we start this, to give you kind of the proper perspective, I want to give you the right lens to kind of look through as we talk about this. And the first thing is this, is that we have to understand that Jesus is the true hero of this story. Really, Jesus is the true hero of every story, but Jesus is the true hero of this story. Because if you're anything like me, what you tend to do, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, I tend to write myself into these Bible stories. As I'm reading through them, I'm like, okay, am I more like Peter or am I more like John? Like, would I be more like this or be more like this? And if I am not careful, what I think I can do is as I look at the story of David and Goliath, I can put myself in this position of going, dude, I'm like David, and all I've got to do is, is, is do this and do that, and I can try hard, and I can do this, but it, the reality is that in this story, Jesus is the true hero of this story. This is not a motivational talk where I want to encourage you to just simply try harder and do better, and in that, you'll be able to defeat your giant. That is not what I want to communicate to you at all. In this, what I want you to see is that David is kind of a foreshadowing of who Jesus is. David is the one that goes against and fights Goliath, and what we know is that he ultimately defeats Goliath. He defeats this giant in his life. But Jesus is the one that is, that is David is foreshadowing Jesus as how Jesus comes, and on the cross, he defeats our greatest giant that we could ever come against. He defeats sin and death. And because of what Jesus has done, we can now walk in victory because of what Christ has done on the cross. So David is a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. So as you're looking at this story, as you're tempted to kind of write yourself into the story, you are not David. Jesus is a foreshadowing, or David is a foreshadowing of who Jesus is and what he has done. Because I want you to remember that he is the true hero of every story. Jesus alone defeated the power of our giants. Jesus is the true hero of this story. Uh, again, I, I, you know, a couple weeks ago I talked about, uh, it was in the Philippians series, Philippians chapter 4, 13. There's this really misquoted scripture verse that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. And really, it's not about you in that. It's really Paul had learned to be content in all things. And therefore, because he had learned to be content in all things, he could do all things through Christ. And so at this point, I'm scared that I'll get a reputation. It's not that I don't want you to be motivated, but I want you to understand that Jesus is the one that defeats our giant. Don't try harder. Don't strive harder to defeat your giant on your own or do certain things or don't do certain things. What we really need to do is to lean into Jesus, to be connected to him. And so don't write yourself into this story as David. Don't be the hero. Allow Jesus to be the hero in that. And so we are going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 17. Um, I'm pretty excited to share with you. We're going to kind of move through this relatively quickly, and this is what it says. So 1 Samuel chapter 17, 1 through 3, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp near uh, Ephes uh, Deminen between Soko and Azekah. Those are really interesting names. Like, I've got it all spaced out here, and I still don't know if I said those right. Anyway, it says, Saul and the Israelites had captured the valley of Elah, or, 
uh, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the and the Israelites another, and the valley between them. So here what we have is the Israelites with their first appointed king. His name is King Saul. You can read this through kind of the history of 1 Samuel. The Israelites weren't supposed to have a king except for God. God was their king. However, the Israelites cried out to the prophet, who is God's voice or his spokesman, saying, hey, we want a king. And so Saul is anointed king. So Saul is here drawing up these battle lines. And I I found a couple pictures. This might be a little bit hard to see, um, but we'll put them on the screen that you can kind of see it. So basically what you have is that you have this mountainous area or this region. Here's, Here's kind of another picture of that to look at. It might be a little bit easier to see that. So it's kind of this mountainous area where one side is the Philistines, the other side on the other mountain is the Israelites, and in the middle is this valley. And this is where they are drawing up their battle lines. What's interesting is that there's a fortress there that's known as the uh, um, Elah Fortress that actually kind of gives some proof, archaeological proof, to the fact that this was uh, during the first stone age, not stone age, the first iron age, and it actually points to David's kingdom, but we can't really get into all of that. So continuing on, this is what it says. It says, um, a champion named Goliath. Now here, when you're looking at this, this story, as you're reading through the Bible, here, if we're adding dramatic elements to it, here's where the music would change, right? So we're talking about the Israelites, we're talking about Saul and going to war, and then, brum, this dramatic scene takes place, and the author starts to talk about Goliath, this champion, this giant, and this is what it says. It says, a champion named Goliath, who is from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. In certain uh, translations, it says over six cubits and a span. And cubits were a, uh, a form of measurement from the Egyptians that measured from the bottom of the elbow to the tip of the finger. In general, it was about 18 inches. So he was over nine feet tall. Nine foot nine is what some believe. It says he had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scales armored with bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That equals to 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, or 15 pounds. Uh, His shield-bearer went out ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place. It says, then the, then the Philistines said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were afraid and terrified. So here we see Goliath is explained and kind of described, and the weight that is there is significant because what he's, this author is kind of showing is he's going, man, this guy was no joke. This guy was strong. This guy was a fighting youth. He was a presence. He was a force to be reckoned with. And so he steps out of the Israelite 
or the Philistine ranks, and he is going, okay, send your best warrior to come take on me. And apparently this was something that would happen, that in order to, I guess, save lives, that they would kind of take on the best of this fighting group, would take on the best of this fighting group, and then they would subject themselves, whether the winner or the loser, to become slaves. Or in this case, what we see is that they flee then and they run. And I can imagine that the Philistines feel pretty confident, right? They've got a, a Goliath, a giant who is massive, that has all of the strength, that he's been a fighting boy since his youth, and, and he is this dominant force. And then the Israelites see this, and they're terrified and dismayed. They are scared out of their mind. When Goliath defied the ranks of Israel, what he was actually doing was defying God himself. And what was interesting is that one of the commentaries that I read, uh, it actually said that this, the way of doing this, what they believed is if two soldiers fought, what they believed is that the gods would actually pick the best winner or the, the stronger of the two gods would actually be the one that would figure out who would win the battle and they would grant victory based on who the stronger god or who those two gods, I guess, decided to do that. And so when when Goliath defies the armies of God, what he's doing is he's actually defying God. What he's actually doing is, is mocking and making a mockery out of the Israelites and the God that they serve. And, and again, the reality is, is that Saul was never supposed to be the leader of the Israelites. Saul was the king, yes. The people had asked for a king, but their true king was God himself who had brought them out of Egypt, who had brought them into this land, who had given them victory over all of these nations and these countries and even the Philistines who had gone before them in battle, that these Philistines should have and would have heard the stories of how good God was. And so for this Philistine to defy Israel was ultimately to defy God himself. And so the Israelites hear this, and instead of picking up the cause, and instead of knowing that God was there with them, instead of walking in that, uh, that confidence, they instead do what many of us do. They instead do what I do many, many times when I'm faced with this, is that I shriek back, and I kind of cower, and I kind of forget the God that I serve and the power that he has. This is what I was talking about before. It said, The theory behind such individual combat was, was the belief that either the gods or the stronger god would grant victory to whichever man they chose. And so the Philistines were challenging and defying God himself, not just his people. It wasn't just about King Saul, but about God himself. And the truth is, is that that day, as, as Saul uh, uh, hears this one man, Goliath, kind of his voice echoing throughout the valley, as he hears this, it, it, while, while Goliath's voice kind of echoed throughout the valley, God had created the entire land. And I think that's what the Israelites had forgotten in that moment. Israel forgot who its true king was. They forgot who they belonged to and that God, that they had a, uh, and a, they forgot who they belonged to and the God that they served and the power that he truly possessed. And so continuing on with this, we're going to read uh, verses 12 through 24. Uh, it says, now David, and now here again would be where the music changes again. Here enters kind of the faithful servant. Here's our hero of the story. Yay, go David. Um, but remember, the true hero here is Jesus. David is a foreshadowing of what Christ would do in conquering our giants. It says, now David was the son of an Ephraimite named Jesse. 
who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was old and well-advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second was Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul's uh, back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Verse 16, for 40 days the Philistines came, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Early in the morning David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed him. Uh, he reached the camp at, as the army was going out into the battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, greeted and greeted his brothers. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And I love these next few words here in verse 23. It says, and David heard it. Then, then the Isra- when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. I love this phrase right here at the end of that, that verse 23 or 24, verse 23, and David heard it. See, here what we had had is that we had this group of men, the Israelites, and I, and I don't, want, I don't want to be too hard on the Israelites because, again, I feel like many times I am just like the Israelites and I am just like King Saul where I forget the God that I serve. But for 40 days and for 40 nights, they hear this taunting. They hear this jeering. They hear this mockery of not just them, not just their king, but of their God himself. They hear it and they are dismayed and terrified. No one has stepped up to do anything. But David shows up and in 40 minutes, David is about to do what they haven't done in 40 days. David hears this for the first time. And this is what leads me to believe that I think that David had a completely different perspective than anyone else in, in this battle, than his brothers, than King Saul, than the men of Israel. David had a completely different perspective of who God was and who Goliath was in light of who God was. It was a different view. He wasn't full of fear, but he was full of faith. 1 Samuel 17, 25 through 32, it says this. It says, Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And and at first glance, we're going to come back to this first, but at first glance, it's like, ooh, dude, why are you going there? Like, circumcision, really? You're going to go there? But really, this is not... This is not David commenting on his physical features. What David is saying is the act and the idea of circumcision was what set God's people apart. It was that very thing that made them different from the rest of the nations. We can get into, well, that's kind of a little bit weird and there's some reasoning behind that. But really what David is is talking about is not his physical appearance or his attributes. What he's saying is, who is this uncircumcised, this person that has nothing to do with God's goodness, his glory? He has nothing to do with the true God of the world. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Continuing on in verse 27. It says, they repeated to him what, had been, what they had been saying and told him. This is what will be done for the man who kills him. 
When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Verse 29, Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. This is fascinating to me. Here we have this young boy going into an Israelite army. He's going back and forth from shepherding in the wild, in the open fields, to seeing his brothers. And he hears for the first time this, this defiance, this pagan man who is defying his God and defying the armies of God and he is going why has nobody done anything it's almost like he's got this thought of why hasn't this happened and and here's kind of the point that I would make within that is that I think the truth is it's not about the height of the giant but the size of our God and I think that as David enters the scene he has a better perspective and a better understanding ultimately of who God is I think the majority of times in my life what happens is that as I'm faced difficult circumstances and difficult situations, uh, my eyes just naturally tend to look at how big the giant is instead of looking at how big my God truly is. And that's, I think, the difference between what the Israelites were doing and what David was doing. The Israelites were focused on the problem. They were focused on, man, this guy is huge. He's massive. He's strong. He's been fighting forever. He knows what he's doing. He's experienced in combat. And they were looking at that, which he was a giant. So it's understandable. He was massive. Like there was reason for them to have concern, except when they took their eyes off of the, that one giant and saw the bigger picture, they would have understood that the God who had gone before them, the God that had split the Red Sea for them to walk across on dry land, the God who had stopped the Jordan River from flowing so that they could cross through the Jordan River, the God that had existed with their ancestors as they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years with a, with a pillar of fire by day and a, uh, or by night and a cloud of smoke in the day. They should have known and remembered the size of their God not just seeing the size of the giant that they were facing. When we go through difficult circumstances, when we go through difficult circum, uh, when, uh, times in our life, what I would challenge you to do, it's a very simple elementary message, but it's so hard to live out. My challenge to you would be to not look at the giants that you face, but look at the God that you serve. Don't look at the giants that you face, but look at the God you serve. Because in doing that, your perspective will be completely different. And David is going, I will fight him. Like, he just shows up and he says, I will be the one that does that. David heard it, and he said, I will go and fight for him. It's not about the height of the giant, but the size of our God. See, the giant was bigger than David, but God was bigger than the giant. Take your eyes off of the problem and set them on the solution that is Jesus Christ. Again, they had reason to be concerned. Goliath was a visual and vocal, vocal terror. Like, he was, he was scary, right? Like, looking at him, you would understand. But when the nation was afraid and fearful, David was full of faith. And, and really, I think the truth is, is that the, the opposite of, of fear is not, uh, is not courage, but the opposite of fear is faith in Jesus. 
And this is a quote directly from Louis Giglio, and he said this. He said, uh, the opposite of fear is, um, let me just find that where he put that. Uh, That's what he said. He said, the antidote to fear is faith, and the soundtrack of faith is worship. And here's what, what I think is fascinating is, as you look at the story in the life of David, What you recognize, many times we want to glamorize this shepherd boy who knew nothing and he just one day fought a giant and that was it. But I think the truth is, is that in his early years, in his development, in his growth, he had experienced and encountered Jesus and he had encountered God for who he truly was. It was in this shepherding that he learned how to care for sheep that would ultimately lead him to be a, a hopefully a good shepherd for the nation of Israel. One of the most prominent times for the entire nation of Israel was during the reign of King David eventually. And it's in those fields that he saw God's glory and his goodness. He saw creation, all of creation in its splendor and its glory. And he there learned who God was. In the open when animals would attack his flock he would be the one that would fight them off. Imagine the fear that a 12-year-old or an 11 or 14, you fill in the name that a young man would experience as part of his flock is being carried off, but he is the shepherd and he is called to go save his sheep. See, it's in that place that I think that David actually had a different perspective because of what he had experienced when he was young. In these silent years where we don't really hear anything about David's development, I think it's there that he learned how to truly see and to view God. And it's, uh, again, to quote Louis Giglio, the antidote to fear is faith, and the soundtrack of faith is worship. In Psalms, it's so beautiful to see because what we can see is in First and Second Samuel, here's this account of King David, but also we have the Psalms, who David wrote the majority of Psalms, and we can see kind of his heart and some of the things that he's thought. In, in Psalm 16, verses 8 through 9, it says, I've set, my, uh, I've set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Why? Because the Lord is before him. This sounds like a young man who learned how to trust God in the middle of the open field, in the middle of thunder and lightning, in the middle of chaos, in the middle of fear. He had learned who God was. And so by the time he stands in front of Goliath, he knows that it's not about the size of Goliath. It's about the size of of the God that he serves. I wanted to read this. This is from the the teacher's commentary. It says, The scene of David's triumph is not the beginning of his story. The beginning is rooted in the silent years David spent as a shepherd. It's rooted in the fear David must have felt of the wild beasts around him and in the courage that was tested over and over again as David went out to meet his challenges. It is rooted in David's growing awareness and trust of God. David, though handsome, was not an impressive figure. But during the lonely years of shepherding, David had developed a heart for God. He learned to see God in his shepherd, uh, learned to see God as his shepherd, Psalms 23. Sensing in his own care, uh, sensing in his own care of his sheep aspects of God's care for his people. Living in the open, David also sensed God's greatness through his creation. Later, David wrote, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Psalms 19.1 
This same theme is often echoed in David's Psalms. In Psalms 29, David calls on men to ascribe glory to the Lord for all that he reveals of himself in nature. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. Psalms 29, 3-4. The silent formative years... The weeks spent alone in the hills and the valleys of Palestine, tending sheep, deepened the youth's sense of God's greatness and power. David's heart responded to creation's revelation. His eyes saw the glory of the Lord, measured against this vision of the Lord, whose mad, majestic voice spoke in thunder. David saw Goliath in true perspective. The giant was, giant was merely a creature and that the Lord was God. And so when we feel that we can never overcome our giants, and we have forgotten who God is and the God that we serve and that he is all-powerful, that he can do all things, that there is nothing impossible for him. David had a different perspective, and he brought that in. Continuing on with this story, and going on to verses 33 through 37, it says, uh, so David basically says, I'll go and fight for him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against him, this Phil- uh, go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he's been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. Then it turned on me. I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. When David speaks, there's such a confidence to what he says. Like what's recorded in Samuel is not a man who is timid and afraid. He's a man that knows who God is. And because he knows who God is, he stands on the confidence of who he has experienced God to be. Continuing on, uh, next verse, uh, verses 37 through 44. It says, Saul said to David, or actually, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm running my own PowerPoint here, so I'm making sure that I, I've got that right. So uh, 33 through 37, Saul replied, or, sorry, guys, hang with me. 37 through 44, it says, Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on the sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. He took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch, in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with a shield bearer in front of them, kept coming closer to David. He looked over and saw that he was a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, I'm a dog. Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. I do think what's fascinating is that, that, that comment that he recognizes, that Goliath recognizes that David is ruddy and handsome. So handsome, we kind of know what that means. But ruddy generally has this sense of he, ruddy, meaning that he's been outdoors, that he's got kind of a reddish tone, like uh, good blood circulation to his cheeks, that he's been outside. So it's, it's interesting that the very thing that has almost prepared David for this encounter with Goliath, the very thing is what actually Goliath despises. He might not know it. That's just kind of me looking and reading into the story. But it's interesting that David sees this, or Goliath sees this young man, 
and he's offended, going, are you kidding me? You're going to send this guy, am I a dog, that you would chase me with sticks? And he defies, again, he, he curses David by his gods, who weren't real gods, but he curses David by his gods. And David didn't even have a sword. This is fascinating to me. David didn't have armor. He didn't have a sword. He didn't have training. What he had was faith in God, and that would be enough. That's the one thing that he had, but that was the one thing that he needed. Because Jesus alone is enough for us to face and defeat our giants. And then in 43, where he uh, curses David by his gods, I wonder if that final curse for him was like even more agitating because what we can see is, is David's kind of motivation is that he can't believe that someone would be defying the armies of God and God himself. And so what, this final curse of his gods, I wonder if that's just like the final straw that David's like, okay, this, this just stop speaking. But David addresses, and in this, what we see, he reveals his motive again of why he is so eager to fight this giant. Um, Verses 45 through 50, it says, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. This is such an important part of this, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. 47, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into the forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Continuing on to that last part here, the last few verses. It says, David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with a sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath, to the gates of Ekron. The dead were slain all along the Samarian road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the, Phys- uh, the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistines' weapon in his own tent. And I think that this is so powerful here, that verse that says, and the world will know that there is a God in heaven. And and that leads me to kind of my third thought, the thing that I wanted to kind of say is that giants are defeated for God's fame and glory. When we encounter giants in our life, things that are, feel like they can never be overcome, the things that are too big or impossible for us to overcome ourselves, we can trust in God. We can know that he is more than able, that he is more than enough to conquer and defeat our giants. But in the words that Louis Giglio would say in his book, Goliath must fall so that God can be glorified. Goliath must fall so that God can be glorified. Giants are defeated for God's fame and glory. And what we see is that was David's goal from the very beginning. That was why he was eager because no one should defy his, his God in that way. 
while Saul was fearful of his own life and while maybe the, the soldiers of Israel valued their comfort more than anything, David valued God's honor and glory over his own life. And so he was willing to step out when no other man would do so, and he was willing to go against Goliath and ultimately achieve victory, not because of his strength, but because of who God was. Giants are defeated for God's fame and glory. Goliath must fall so that God can be lifted up. See, it's a bigger purpose than just our freedom. It's about God receiving glory and all honor. And the truth is, is that David really wanted a spectacle. He wanted Goliath's death to be a spectacle. And I can only imagine the, the, both the, uh, like this surge of adrenaline that happens for the Israelites when they see that this, this champion Goliath is dead and, he, and David lifts his head. And I, I can only imagine on the other side, the Philistines' demise as they see their champion, their warrior who is undefeated and never lost, now is dead. Imagine both sides of it. That was a spectacle. And David wanted it to be a spectacle. And, and that makes us think, again, if, if, Jesus is, if David is kind of a foreshadowing of Jesus, the cross was a spectacle. The cross where Jesus defeated the power of all of our giants that we would ever face, that we would ever encounter. The cross was a spectacle where Jesus took on the sins of the world and he defeated that which would come against us. Those two are really intertwined. They're woven together. Jesus stretched out his arms on the cross, both to free us and to glorify God. Both of those works happened at the same time. David's motivation in this whole thing was for the fame and the glory of God. He was motivated by God's glory and honor. David valued and honored God's reputation above his own life. And the central aim uh, is uh, our, our life's central aim is not to just enjoy this great God, but to glorify him forever. It's not just about you and me. It's not about what I feel and what I want and what I want to do. It's about living for God and bringing him glory and honor in all the things that I do and everything that I do. That's what our lives need to be, a, be about. And I think that as, as modern Christians, that we can't make everything about ourselves. Like, that's the temptation, right? Like, that's the, the natural curve. Like, if we don't try and make things about the kingdom of God and living for him, then we tend to be selfish. That's just the way that human nature is. And so we need to do our very best to, to not fall into this modern Christianity and, and just go, okay, well, it's all about us. But no, it's about God's fame and glory. Goliath must fall so that God can be lifted up. Giants are defeated for God's fame and his glory. And so for us, do you believe and do you know that God is enough? Do you live as if God is enough? Do your giants have victory over you like they do Saul and the Israelites? Or like David, do you have faith that the battle is truly the Lord's? And so uh, I know that I'm pretty much out of time, but the last thing that I wanted to do is give you some, some next steps. And maybe what I'll do is on Tuesday, I hope to kind of go into these a little bit deeper um, during our overtime podcast. If you have any questions about this message, please email us at overtime at clcfamily.church. I uh, would love to kind of handle any questions that you have there. But the next steps, the things that I want to leave you with today is this, is to one, understand, uh, let me put that on the screen behind me, understand that Jesus has already defeated the power of your giants. Jesus is the true hero of the story, not us. In the same way that David triumphed over Goliath, Jesus triumphs over our giants. David was a foreshadowing of what Jesus, of what Christ has and would do. The second thing is to respond to our giants with faith rather than fear. 
Take your eyes off of the problem and set them on the solution that is Jesus Christ. The opposite of fear is not courage, but faith in Jesus. And the antidote to fear is faith. And the soundtrack of faith is worship. So live your life in a way that worships and glorifies God. And then the last thing that I would say is glorify God by walking in the freedom that Jesus has won for you. As you do that, the world will marvel at our great God. It will be a spectacle that people will will see and that God will receive glory and honor. Don't try harder or to make everything new on your own, but see the work that God has done for you and believe again that he can raise any of us from the ashes of defeat. And so at this time, I just want to invite you to, to join in with us as we sing our final song.
I really hope that you were challenged and encouraged this week. Uh, I hope that this this message kind of maybe hits home for you. Again, didn't want to spend much time talking about our giants. I think that we all have an idea of who our giants are, what our giants are. But my prayer is that you would take your eyes off of the problem and put them on the solution, and that is Jesus Christ. I do want to say that if there's anything that we can do for you as a church, if there's prayer, if you're looking for prayer for anything, this has been a, a very interesting time within our nation, within our church, within our community. And one of the things that we've really wanted to do is connect well with you. So if there is anything that we can do for you, you want prayer, then please let us, let us know if there's something that we can pray specifically for. Uh, in fact, as you're watching this online, I'm, I'm hoping that one of the things that we're trying to do is create online hosts. But I'm hoping that as you're watching this, that there's somebody there on that, that Facebook or YouTube or whatever it is that you're watching. Specifically, I'll say Facebook. I think we're probably starting there first. If somebody's identified themselves as, as the service host and you want prayer, feel free to private message them and they can get you in touch with the right person or they can pray themselves. Um, but just let us know if there's a way that we can help you in this season, in, in this, this challenging time. We are super excited about next Sunday, uh, June 7th, having this um, online, or excuse me, in-person kind of socially distanced uh, service outside in the parking lot at 1030 please tune in on Wednesday. We were kind of kicking around the idea of needing uh, like an RSVP or some type of a ticket because we, we're not sure what to, to expect. We'll have those, iron, uh, those details ironed out by, by Wednesday. So please tune into that. I really hope that you were challenged and encouraged by today's message that you don't just look at the story of David and Goliath as kind of a kid's children's Bible story, but you look at it as a story that God moved and worked and there's something that we can learn from it. So we hope you have a, a blessed week. Thank you so much for joining us and we love you and we will see you soon.